Now, some of you may not know Aileen Coleman. And to be honest, a couple of years ago, I didn't know anything about her either. But as I've learned more about her and gotten to meet her, Aileen has become one of my heroes. As a young woman, Aileen answered God's calling on her life. And at the age of 25, she left her home in Australia and moved to Bethlehem to be a witness of the love of Christ in the Middle East. After eight years of working as a nurse and hospital administrator in Bethlehem, Aileen and her dear friend, Dr. Eleanor Salto, moved to the desert town of Mafrak, Jordan, where they started a clinic that became the Anur Sanatorium for Chest Diseases. For 60 years, Aileen has faithfully served the Lord, using the long-term treatment of tuberculosis as a platform for building relationships and sharing the good news of Jesus with her Bedouin neighbors. When I met Aileen recently, she told me she's anxious to get back to Jordan because she celebrated the last 59 Christmases in the Middle East, and she doesn't plan on missing number 60. Aileen's work has earned her recognition and honors from the Queen of England and the Queen of Jordan. She's been the honored guest in the palaces of kings. But where Aileen finds the greatest joy is on the dusty floor of a Bedouin tent in the desert of Jordan, sharing the good news of Jesus with those who do not yet know him. So this evening, we all have the great honor to sit at the feet of one of God's great and humble servants as she encourages the next generation to join her in taking up the burden of reaching the lost. Please welcome Aileen Coleman. started yet. (laughs) And before I start, I want to promise you that yesterday's plenary speaker and I did not get together on our subjects. She was in Baltimore and I was in Jordan. So if if I repeat what she said, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. My first question to you tonight, I want to especially speak to the young people I know I'm three generations above you, but that's okay. I used to be young. Why are you here? Why did you come? Maybe your church sent you. Maybe a friend brought you and thought it'd do you good. Maybe you're considering mission. Maybe you're just checking us out. I don't know. But I think maybe one of those four things could be one of the reasons that you're here. And tonight I want to speak especially to the students, medical, um, young doctors, nurses, technicians, whatever you are in the medical field. And forgive us, you older gray people like I am. uh, But um, we all know that God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, gave us his last call. And that was to go. 
to go and make disciples of all nations. But you know, we've always got so many excuses why it's not the right time. But that's not a new excuse. Way back in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament prophets said, can't find it. Still. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will be good. Who observes the wind will not sow. There are so many reasons today why we say it's not the right time. It's not the right time to go. But here in the Holy Bible itself, it says, now is the time. If we look around, we can always find an excuse not to go. But your excuses aren't new. When God said to Moses, go and rescue my people from Egypt, he had the same excuse that maybe some of you have got. Who am I? He said, I'm not educated. I don't know how to speak. But you know he was lying. Because in Acts it says... Quoting, (laughs) Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptian, and he was mighty in words and deeds. No excuses. I was 21 years old before I became a believer, and I thought that the in thing to do that, I didn't have any great question, will I, won't I, I just knew the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I didn't belong to Aileen Coleman anymore. My life, lived for Aileen Coleman, was over, and God was taking over. not saying it was easy, but um, I went to Bible school to study the Bible, and I had great ideas of what I should do for God. The Wycliffe Bible Translators was a fairly new mission at 60 years ago in those days and I thought it'd be wonderful because my best friend at the Bible school was going to um, the Philippines and I thought we'd go together and we could have a good time and translate the Bible and be the Lord's servants. But I was there in Bible school and I got an assignment to do a paper on the Muslim world. Now this is 1951 when there weren't many missionaries in the Muslim world and I had to scratch around and find people that would help me write my paper. I did my postgraduate work in in midwifery. And in Australia, they call it bush obstetrics, where you get to learn to do a lot of things that nurses don't do here. Sort of putting on instruments and suturing and taking care of a lot of the complications of a woman having a baby. And this lady doctor wrote to me from, from the Middle East, an American mission, And she said, pray that God will send us a nurse who's had postgraduate work in obstetrics. So I started to pray that God would send them a nurse who had my my qualifications. So be careful what you pray for. And it wasn't long before I realized that this is what God meant for me. It wasn't easy. I was engaged to be married. And my fiancé was going to Africa, and I thought, you know, he'll come to the Philippines with me, and we'll live as a married couple. 
But God said no. He was convinced that God was calling him to Africa, and he went. So I went to the Middle East, not without many tears. But girls, if, if God chooses for you singleness, enjoy it. It's great. It, uh, it's not a disease, <laughs> and it's not infectious. <laughs> I work with TB, and so I'm used to things that are infectious. But I, I realized then that God was calling me to a... I didn't know who the Muslims were, even. And I didn't love the Muslims when I left Australia. And I was going as an Australian to an American mission to live with Americans, none of whom I hadn't even seen one, I don't think, before I left Australia. <laughs> um, we all survived. <laughs> but then as I got to the Middle East, I could see the challenge of speaking to Muslim people. They don't want Jesus Christ. And as in medicine, nursing, and all the allied jobs that are uh, required in running a hospital, I saw the the wonder of having people separate from their family, separate from their religions, to be able to spend time with them telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I just worked for two years um, in this uh, maternity hospital in what is now the Emirates. Now, this was before the days of oil, and the people that we saw were the most poverty-stricken um, people that I'd ever seen. And but now, of course, they got more wealth than the rest of the world. But this was in the early 50s when people, uh, women were especially in such one, uh, great need to have help uh, when they're having their babies. After two years, I was too busy delivering babies to learn the language. So I was sent to Bethlehem in Jordan to study Arabic. And that's where I met my great colleague, mentor and friend, Dr. Elma Salto pulmonologist who herself had a pneumonectomy before she studied, did her postgraduate work in pulmonology, well prepared to work in the TB hospital. It was there I saw the wonder of treating a chronic disease for presenting the gospel to Muslims. It's a great cost of serving the Lord. And as we heard last night, it's not easy. The Muslim people in general do not want the gospel, and some of them are aggressively against what we say. And uh, I remember in the Civil War, they stole out, um, this was in 1970, the, it was then the Palestinians who were the, the terrorists. They stole out two cars, and I remember telling them, uh, this is God's car, he's going to get you for this. <laughs> and... Uh, I wasn't quite prepared for the way God answered my threats to these people because we heard after the war was over that um, some of the, uh, the terrorists had taken our car and drove, driven it over a, hill, over a cliff and were all killed. And so the Muslim people are not all as aggressive as you believe. And yet as I've lived with them, I've seen among many of them a heart wanting to know the truth. Young people, the Muslim world is not closed to the gospel. The door is swinging in the Muslim world, in North Africa, Mauritania, and the Middle East, 
There is such need for medical people to hear what the, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said, go and tell them. And I'd just like to speak to students, whatever you're studying, don't waste your lives. It's not wrong to get a good job, to earn money, and get married, have children, retire, and then what? God is calling today for young people, especially, to consider serving him. Maybe it's not the Muslim world. But don't be like Moses who had an excuse that he thought was waterproof. But God said, Moses, do it anyway and I'll send Aaron to help you. God sent Dr. Elna Salto to work with me for 42 years until she went to heaven as a result of an accident. And um, I remember when she died, I thought, can I hack it by myself? She's been in heaven 18 years yesterday. And I thought, can I manage by myself? I was reading my daily reading in Joshua and it said, Moses, my, he was speaking, God was speaking to Joshua and he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you prepare to cross the Jordan. I thought, Eleanor, my servant is dead. I was already in Jordan. <laughs> that gave me great, great courage to stay right where I am today. <laughs> Yesterday we heard that um, verse from uh, Debbie when she quoted to us from um, Philippians 1, verse 29, and I'll re-quote it. I believe we all need to hear it again. It's been granted to us that you, for the sake of Jesus Christ, should not only believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Any kind of mission work, any kind of ministry, here where you are or where you might have come from here in the States, it's costly. What's going to happen to your kids? Will I find a spouse? What's going to happen when I retire? I don't plan to retire. I'm going to keep on going until I drop my tracks. <laughs> but um, yesterday we heard from our sister. She said, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. I'd already written down it's an honor to suffer for Christ's sake. And as we consider what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, it is an honor to be given the opportunity to suffer for his sake. As you consider being a missionary, being a full-time worker, or just being here in the States as a servant of the living God, you will suffer. And I've seen, as I've been back for a few weeks now and seeing what's happening to believers here in America, I think suffering is starting to become part of everyday life for the followers of Jesus. It's costly. And there will be times when you wonder if you can keep going. Satan doesn't want you where you are. But as we consider all the promises that God has given us in his word, can we say no? As Moses said, I can't do it. There are many reasons, I'm sure, why you think you cannot do it. You cannot travel overseas. If you come to the Middle East, you'll die trying to learn Arabic. <laughs> I've shed many tears over it, but now I do most of my preaching in Arabic, so if I get into Arabic, forgive me, 
because it means I've forgotten some English. <laughs> but it is costly. I'm speaking, of course, as one who's been spent most of her life in the Middle East, in the Muslim world. People will understand your motivation. Where we are, you know, it's very unsettled politically, although Jordan is safe, thankfully, we've got a good king and the presence of God keeping us safe, we believe. But so often they see us as CIA or where we are in Jordan, spies for Israel. There are many things that make you, will probably make you wonder, is it worthwhile? But always God has a way out. I'm not telling you it won't be, uh, it'll be easy, it won't be easy. As you serve God overseas, and that's my passion, to get many of you young people moving overseas as you graduate, as you finish your residencies. There are wide open doors throughout the world, and I know you've heard from many of the people here uh, during this weekend about the needs, not just in the Muslim world, although that's my passion, but there are needs worldwide for people like you that love the Lord, who are committed to serve him. It'll cost you. But it says here in Philippians, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's granted to us. Because when you get a grant, it's usually something you don't really deserve. You've worked hard for it. But in, as we read here in the Philippians, it is an honor to suffer for the sake of the Lord. There are many disappointments in the Muslim world. People you feel were really following the Lord. Most of our patients are very poorly educated. But one time we had this young girl. She was a Bedouin girl, the, son of an army, the daughter of an army officer, who was educated. I was so excited when she showed interest in the gospel. And after she was discharged, I prepared a little Bible study for her. And of course, persecution is severe. One day she came back with her prepared lessons, and I'd give her a return card for the clinic. It wasn't the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but it was a way to get her back. So I'd give her a clinic card with a date on it, and we'd give her some multivitamin or something, and, but then I'd take her away and we would study the Bible together. After she'd walked with the Lord for about ten months, she came to me one day and she said, Raisa, so they call me, I'm over it's over. And she gave me back the, the file and said, I can't do it anymore. I said, why? What's happened? She said, my brothers beat me. And I've been betrothed to an old sheikh, an old Arab religious leader, to be married to him. And she said, and they'd taken away my Bible. And I said, Hania, God will help you. She said, Raisa, it's too hard. And I thought, what happened to her? She was moving along, growing in the Lord, and suddenly said, it's over. About five years later, she was married to this old sheikh who, who uh, divorced her because she couldn't have any children. And then one day, we, uh, we were admitting patients, and this young man came in, and uh, we were putting him to bed. He had tuberculosis, of course. And... Um, I was getting a history from him. I said, where do you live? And he told me, I said, do you happen to know Hania? He lived in, he was from the same tribe. He said, we're going to get married. 
and she'd been given to this boy because she, they, the tribe knew he had tuberculosis and they didn't want her to be reinfected, which as you doctors and nurses know is practically impossible. But um, So he came into the hospital and he, after many months of hearing and at first rejecting the gospel, then he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And they were married. And now we see them. They're still afraid of the tribe. Their, their testimony is very, very muted because they're afraid. Persecution is so severe. I don't know how strong I'd be if I knew that I could be put in prison. As a man, you could be killed for being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we get to know them and love them, we suffer with them. Nothing like they do, of course. But it's, it's wonderful to be able to stand with them and to be able to tell them, God knows, he cares, and he's going to take care of you. Our motives are, are misinterpreted many times. And many times people say to us, isn't it dangerous with all those terrorists around you? We have a clinic in, in the south of Jordan. I was re, relie, uh, relieving the missionary family that were there and because um, everybody said don't go to Ma'an it's a very fanatical town but I needed some medicine and I knew there was a pharmacy in, in Ma'an that I could buy it from so I went to the city of Ma'an nervous because I'd heard all the rumors and the stories about what happens to people in this very fanatical town and, and so as I got into the opening of the town this man came, stood beside me. I thought, what's he want? And uh, he followed me around. I had to go to several places before I went back to our small clinic in the south. And he just followed me and stood beside me. And I thought, what's he want? So after we, he, I'd finished my business in, in this little town, I turned to him and I said, Yahui, my brother, you can go home now. I'm safe. He said, do you know... I've been following you because he said there are some wicked people in this town and I just wanted to protect you if, if you needed it. That's a Muslim. That's a man living in that very fanatical town. And so it's costly, but God always has a way out. He always has somebody to come alongside you. God is completely sovereign and we know that he's in charge of everything that matters. Could I just say, don't look for the easy way out. If you come to Mufruk, we have no McDonald's, no Taco Bell, but we have the best bread you've ever tasted in your life. Somebody brought me what they call pita bread the other day, and I thought, you call this pita bread? <laughs> you should come to Jordan where we have the real thing. Um, and our flies. Um, they're the most friendly little creatures you've ever seen. <laughs> what about short-term missions? Sometimes they're very helpful because we have a, a couple of career missionaries who came as short-term missions. But if you come as a short-term missionary, come to learn, not to teach us. We've made the mistakes. And I've made plenty in the 60 years I've been in the Middle East. But if you come as a short-term ministry, uh, as a short-term missionary, 
Be ready to hear what the old people have got to tell you. I know we're out of date. I know we're old and got gray hair. But we've been there for a long time. And we do welcome people who are ready to come to learn. Arabic's a big problem. And we're uh, rather short of interpreters. But it can be helpful if your heart's ready to obey the Lord. Not to come and just see the flies and the heat and the, the dust. We, eat, we uh, live in a, a desert and we have dust storms you, that you couldn't believe until you see them. You eat it, you sleep in it, and you wear it. And that's, that's the dust of Jordan. My advice to you is, if you're coming anywhere in the world as a missionary, learn the language. Because you cannot get to know the culture of the people without learning the language. Arabic will kill you. And you'll wonder if it's worthwhile. So I plead to you to think of going to the hard places. I know every mission, mission station feels that their place is the really hard place to go to. But when you come to the Muslim world, you know that your message generally will be rejected. We've talked about the, the call of God. We've talked about the cost. You kids will get sick. But in the capital, we do have good medical care. You're far away from family. Many reasons why you shouldn't come. But you know, if the Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, not as God Almighty, was came to earth to check it out as a man, do you think he'd have come back to die? And so... As we think of the Lord Jesus Christ as our great example, we've got to be ready, young people, we've got to be ready to rough it, to have your, your message rejected many, many times. But in the, in the long run, after seeing the cost of following the Lord, be it here in America, wherever you are, it's costly to follow the Lord. And I believe here in the West, people are going to see more and more the cost of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. But in the long run, we think of the celebration that will be ours when we get to glory. I'll get there and see Bedouin women and men and other Arab uh, Muslim men and women. Our Bedouin men, uh, women all tattoo their faces, so I wonder if they'll have lost their tattoos when they get to heaven. But it's going to be a great celebration. Now, I come from a denomination has a very, very old statement of faith, and it says the chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we obey him, as we suffer the cost of serving him, we will glorify him and enjoy him forever. True obedience to God only comes through, uh, through glory to God only comes through our obedience to him. Not our reasons why we can't obey. Some of them might be true. Some of them might be real. But Jesus Christ himself suffered as a man. We know he was God Almighty when he was here on earth. But his suffering was indescribable. And we accept it. And are happy and thankful that we have been saved. But what about 
the 200 million Arab Muslims, this is not Muslim people worldwide, it's more than a billion, but there are 200 Arab Muslim people who are still waiting to hear the gospel. What will help me as I think of this to enjoy God forever? I enjoy him now. But to be with him forever as I see men and women from the Muslim world in glory with me. And as I was thinking about this, it's a celebration. And our chief aim is to glorify God. How do we glorify God? By obeying him. Not like Moses, not me. Send somebody else. I can't speak. And he was lying. And I'm sure that many of us here in this room have reasons why we shouldn't obey the Lord. The Muslim world is in need of people. I'm an Australian. I can be crude. I can say we want people with the guts to stick it out. Not when it gets rough or the, the weather gets unbearable or we have severe water shortages in Jordan where you're dirty most of the time. That's not an excuse. The Lord Jesus Christ left the glory of, the, of heaven, the glory of God the Father, and came to earth for you and me. And so, can we do anything else, anything less? You older people with gray hair like mine, pray for us. Because we're entering into a battle for the souls of men and women. Satan doesn't want any missionary in the world, and I believe especially in the Muslim world, where Satan has been unchallenged for 1,300 years. Muslim uh, religion is, I believe, the fastest growing religion in the world. What are we doing about it? Talking about the terrorists, they're there. Talking about the destruction, it's there. But there are many hearts, I believe, that God has prepared to hear the gospel. And the other uh, part of it, this a mission statement is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I enjoy being a servant of God. Sometimes I complain. When my uh, colleague, Elmer Salter, was alive, it was usually one of us was up and the other one was down. Thankfully, we didn't complain together. But sometimes I'd be complaining about something and Elmer would say, just rejoice, dearie. Dearie didn't want to rejoice. But I'm so grateful to have had such a mentor, such a person as Elna Salto, who was with me for 42 years. And, um, and as I think of what we've seen of fruit, it's costly. It's expensive to treat tuberculosis. But you know, I don't believe God ever puts a price on a soul. He sent his son for me. Costly. His only son. And I believe as we enter into mission work, it's going to cost money, prayer, sacrifice, a lot of things that you don't want to face. They're there waiting for you on the mission field. But as we obey him, young people, don't waste your lives. It's okay to get a good job and to live, have lots of kids and retire and spend the rest of your life on the golf course. I'm 85 years old, and I'm, I used to play golf before I was a believer, but... 
God didn't save, didn't save me from golf. I've got nothing against golf. I like it. <laughs> but as we think of the needs of 200 million Arab Muslim people, most of whom are still waiting to hear the gospel. We don't have a lot of fruit to boast about. It would be a time of joy and boasting and giving glory to God. And I, as we see, even one of our patients or one of our ladies that I visit in their tents that are dirty, you share the tent with the chickens and the, the lambs and the goats doing everything that chickens and lambs and goats do on the floor with several kids. But to see the, the openness in some of, this, some of these women who've heard a little bit about the gospel. Very recently, we had a lady admitted to the hospital. We do treat insulin-dependent diabetes as well as TB. We keep them, keep them separated until they come to the meetings and we're all in together. That's when we pray that God will keep them from getting TB. But thankfully, we've never had a, a cross-infection in all these many years. But um, this lady came. She'd been in the hospital um, maybe 35 years ago before her children were born. And she came back with such a clear understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I visited her in a tent just before I left home a month or two ago. And as I went into her tent, it was made of rags sewn together. The floor was dirt. And I said, Sada, how are you? She said, her name is Sada. She said, I'm praising God every day because of what he's done for me. And she quickly went out, like as Abraham, uh, when he had his visitors, the, um, the angelic visitors, he sent somebody to make bread. She said, just a minute. And she went out quickly and made a little fire and made me bread. And so we ate dry bed, bread together. But she said, you know, Raisa, if it hadn't been for me getting um, insulin-dependent diabetes, I wouldn't have known Jesus, would I? I said, probably not. She said, I thank God for diabetes. <laughs> and we thank God for the patients who come to us with insulin-dependent diabetes, with tuberculosis and other life-threatening diseases. We're there as preachers who happen to be what it takes to be to run a hospital. Pray for us. And young people, students, recently graduated gra um, graduates, don't waste your life. Lose it in the service of Jesus Christ. Thank you.